0: Good morning, church. It's great to see uh, all of you here. Good we got in here before the rain hit. It might be hitting while we're here, and then you'll get wet when you leave. But that's cool. We're here together. Friends, um, this is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we are together with the whole Church of Christ anticipating, um, with the saints of old who looked forward to the first coming of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas, and we're anticipating the second coming, the second advent of Jesus when he comes again to make all things new. And we've been doing that through these images from Isaiah. We've looked at the mountain and, and the stream and the branch. And today we're looking at this fourth image um, called the sign in which Isaiah, many hundreds of years before Christ, um, looks to the coming of Jesus and his coming again. So let's pray uh, as we go to God's word. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you and praise you for Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you that this is the good gift that we need. We pray that you would open our eyes and open our hearts that we would hear your word today and that we would not just hear it but respond to it with obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So I'm going to read to you from Isaiah 7 and here's what I'm going to do. I realized after we printed the bulletins that I just we needed more of the text than just 10 through 16 that really to get the context of this passage, I needed to begin in verse 1 of the chapter. So I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. If you'd like, you can read along in your Bibles. It's on page 1069 in the Pew Bibles, if you want to read the fuller context with me. Or you can just pick up at verse 10 when I get there, all right? So hear God's word. This is God's word given to Isaiah and now given to you by the Spirit in love. So receive it. When Ahaz, son of Japham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Ramayah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem. They could not overpower it. And now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son Shir Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field, and say to him, Be careful, keep calm. Don't be afraid. Don't lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramalia. Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It won't happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only Resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Romalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not. I will not put the Lord to the test. And then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. The land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. Friends, brothers, and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Did you ever receive a gift that you didn't want, but you probably needed? My grandmother was famous for her hatred of housework. Um, She hated cleaning, she hated cooking, she hated anything that had to do with keeping house, and she avoided it at all costs. And from my understanding, this was always kind of an issue of tension in my grandparents' marriage. And uh, my grandfather, um, every Christmas and birthday, I remember growing up, um, would give her a not-so-subtle gift to encourage domesticity. (laughs) So, um, this is true. Uh, One year, for Christmas, he gave her a vacuum cleaner. Yeah, terrible, right? Terrible. (laughs) Um, Another year, he gave her a set of pots and pans. Um, another year, he gave her a very fancy mop and broom set, and every Christmas, she would receive this gift. She would sort of nod kindly and thank him and put it in the closet and ignore it forever. This is my family. We put the fun in dysfunctional. We do. That's, that's the windmers That's how we roll. A gift you didn't want, but probably needed. So this is a story, friends, about Ahaz. And it's a story about a man who gets a gift that he doesn't want, but most certainly needs. And not only he needs it, but we need it. And the world needs it more than anything else. This is the gift that we anticipate in Advent. This is the gift that we celebrate at Christmas. It is the gift. You heard it. Emmanuel. God with us. The gift that we wouldn't have asked for, but we all most certainly need. So I want to look at this really wonderful story under two simple headings with you today. First, the terrible lie, and second, the beautiful gift. The terrible lie and the beautiful gift. So first, let's look at the terrible lie. This Look with me at the passage. This is a pretty familiar passage. I'm sure um, even if th- you've never been in church before, this is a passage you probably heard you know, growing up in the Charlie Brown special. Or, uh, you know, codified and endless hymns you hear at Starbucks or whatever. It's this, this very lovely verse about the virgin-bearing child. But I must be honest with you that until this week, I had never really actually looked at the context, the historical context of this famous passage. So let me tell you a little bit about this. So at the time this was written, in the time of Isaiah, um, the nation of Israel had splintered into two vine kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, and Israel had essentially gone astray. And so that all that was left of the people of God was this tiny kingdom of Judah with its capital, Jerusalem. And Ahaz has just become the newly minted king of Jerusalem. And he finds out at the very beginning, just as he starts, that these two major kingdoms to the north, Ephraim and Syria, have come together in an alliance to attack Judah and to destroy and annihilate the kingdom. Really bad way to start a new job. Right? I mean, this would be like you taking over a new company and suddenly discovering the whole company is about to go bankrupt to be turned over to its creditors, except in their case they're not only about to go bankrupt, but be murdered and enslaved, right? Not a happy day. And you can see they're freaking out. Verse 2 says, their hearts shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. No wonder. So what does Ahaz do? This great king, this king of the, of the remnant of the people of God, what does he do? Does he call a prayer meeting? Does he call for a national fast? Does he get down on his knees and cry out to God for mercy? No. What does he do? He cuts a deal. He goes to the, the biggest superpower of the day, Assyria, to negotiate an alliance. Because he thinks to himself, if, if I can get this superpower to protect us, then we will be protected against our enemies. We will be okay. So we pick up this passage when Isaiah the prophet comes to Ahaz the king and essentially says to him, don't do it. Don't make this deal with this pagan state. I know that you're scared. I know that you're afraid. I know that it looks like you're about to be squished like a little teeny, eensy bug. But don't be afraid. Don't be scared. God is with you. God will annihilate these armies. They will not even exist in just a few years. So drop your alliance with Assyria. Drop to your knees instead and trust God, as he says in verse 9 if you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. So does Ahaz listen to him? No. Unfortunately, not. He. Rejects Isaiah's advice, he continues forward with this alliance, and as a result, he, you'll find in chapters 8 and 9, he leads his people into destruction. So that's the context of this famous passage. Now, how does this apply to us today? Well, what I want to suggest to you, brothers and sisters, is that what Ahaz is wrestling with here is the universal struggle of the human heart. I want you to think back for a moment, if you know the story, to Genesis 1 and 2, and little ones, you can help me out with this, because I know you know this story well. That in the beginning of all things, God made Adam and Eve, and he put them in this beautiful garden of Eden to walk with him and to live in a perfect relationship with him, and they trusted him for everything. He was the provider of all they needed. And yet along came the enemy of God. Do you remember who that enemy was? Yeah, the snake, the serpent. And the serpent came along, and he whispered in the ear of Adam and Eve a lie, what Sally Lloyd-Jones calls in her wonderful Jesus Storybook Bible, the terrible lie. And little boys and girls and big people, do you know what that terrible lie is? What did that serpent whisper in the ears of Adam and Eve? He whispered this terrible lie. God doesn't love you. God isn't trustworthy. And maybe God isn't even there. And Adam and Eve, they heard that lie and they let that lie move down into their hearts and they began to believe it. And as a result, they were afraid and they were fearful and they began to believe that God wasn't going to take care of them. And so they rejected God's rules. They turned against his command and they took matters into their own hands. And as a result, as a result that Adam and Eve believed that terrible lie, they led themselves and all the human race into destruction for believing the terrible lie. And so I want you to notice here that Ahaz, this is like a rerun of, e, of, of Eden right here, that Ahaz, just like his grandma and grandpa, Adam and Eve, is choosing to believe that God doesn't love me, God's not going to take care of me, God does not have my back. Maybe he's not even there. And so he chooses to take matters into his own hands, and as a result, he leads himself and all his people into destruction. And what I want to suggest to you, my dear family, is that at the root of many of our problems, of of my issues, of your issues, of our dysfunctions and our troubles that every man and woman, boy and girl, over and over again, believes the terrible lie. God doesn't love us. God isn't trustworthy. Maybe God isn't even there. Let me tell you about a time I realized this about myself. This happened to me about eight or nine years ago. I know I've told this story to some of you before. But about eight or nine years ago, I was trying to plant a church And planning a church is very stressful because, you know, you just feel like every day the whole thing is just going to collapse. And I was very stressed out. I was very anxious. And being the kind of personality that I am, I was trying to control everything. I was trying to control the financial flow. I was trying to control the people and who was coming. I was trying to control my colleagues and the staff that I was working with. I was basically trying to manipulate everything to ensure (laughs) that I would not personally fail. And one day, my colleague, Don Coleman, came to me and he said, Hey, Corey, I need to be honest with you about something. Now, that is a scary thing when Don Coleman says that to you because he is a man who is actually honest. And he sat me down and he said this. He said, Corey, you know, I appreciate all the stuff you're doing. I appreciate that you're trying to, you know, take care of all these things. But to be perfectly honest, your behavior is exhibiting to me that you do not actually believe that God is with us and that God is taking care of our church. In fact... I might even say to you that if I didn't know you better, I would believe that because of your privilege, you have never had to trust God for anything your entire life. Now I said, no. (laughs) No way. I was defensive. I said, you misunderstand me. You don't really know me. But of course, he knew me better than I knew myself. And as I began to consider it, I began to realize that he was right, and he was right not just about that, he was right about that so many of the behaviors that I had noticed for years in my life, my, my propensity to worry and, and fret and fear, my, my tendency to be insecure and to envy others' success. my my attempts to manipulate circumstances and other people to get the outcomes that I desired, that that all of these things were fueled and animated by my belief in the terrible lie, that God didn't love me, God wasn't trustworthy, and maybe God wasn't even there, so I better take care of things myself. And what I want to suggest to you, and what I want to ask you today is, how have you believed the terrible lie, friends? What is the evidence in your life that you believe the terrible lie even now? Maybe the evidence is the worry in your life, your anxiety about your health or your future or your children or your money. Maybe the evidence is your relentless pursuit of power and possessions and ambition to ensure your own success and security. Maybe it is evidence by your efforts to cultivate a beautiful image or a beautiful body or home or a beautiful reputation to push away these deep feelings of insecurity. Maybe the evidence is your attempts to control circumstances, your children, your spouse, your colleagues to get the outcomes that you desire. Maybe it's evidence is by your deceit and your tendency to bend the rules to get what the outcomes that you want, your unholy alliances like Ahaz with people and behaviors that you know are unpleasing to God, but you turn to again and again for the security that you crave. What is the evidence in your life that you have believed the terrible lie? And I want to invite you to consider how different your life would be if instead you believe this that God loves you, that God is trustworthy. And that he is more present than your very breath. How free you would be. How, How much peace you would have. How much contentment and joy. How much freedom you would have from envy and worry and fear. Don't you want to believe that? Don't you want to not live any longer with the terrible lie? Don't you want that? I do. So, how do we get it? Only through the beautiful gift. Let's look at this beautiful gift. Look with me again at the passage. Isaiah comes to Ahaz. He says, Ahaz, king, God is trustworthy. And to prove that he is, God is going to give you a gift. Now, let me ask you this. What kind of gift do you think Ahaz wanted at that moment? If you were Ahaz, little ones, if you were Ahaz and you had these armies about to destroy you, What would you ask God for? I'll tell you what I would ask God for. An army of mighty angels. Maybe a tornado to wipe out my enemies. Maybe a force field like the one around the Death Star. I have Star Wars on the brain right now, right? That's what I would ask God for. Something to protect me and defeat my enemies. But look what God gives. Look at verse 14. The Lord himself will give you, here's the gift, a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel. (laughs) This is the gift for Ahaz. Not an army, not a tornado, not a force field, but a baby. And you could just imagine Ahaz, a baby. Why would I want a baby at a time like this? Please tell me there's something other than a baby. But no, this is not the gift he wants, but this is what he needs because it is the baby's name that he needs. Emmanuel, God with us. That is the only message that can defeat the terrible lie, Emmanuel, the news that God is with us. And I want you to see that if you look at the story of the whole Bible, you will see that God is on a mission to destroy the terrible lie through the good news that he is with his people. And so he comes to Moses in Genesis 3, and he says, Moses, do not be afraid because I am what? Say it together, people. I am with you. He comes to Joshua, and he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for I am, what? With you. He comes to Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 1, he says, don't be frightened. They will not overcome you, because I am, what? With you. Even this glorious psalm, Psalm 23, that we all know so well. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. This is the great theme of scripture, that God, over and against the terrible lie, he attacks it with the truth of Emmanuel, God with us. And because I am with you, he says, you can be certain that I love you, that I'm rescuing you, that I care about you, and I will never leave you or forsake you. And look, friends, this is what's so amazing. This is not mere words. God is not like a deadbeat dad who says that he's there for you and then doesn't show up for your concerts. You know, you might have had a dad like that, but this is not a dad like that. This is a father who backs his talk with actions who many hundreds of years later after this prophecy comes to a little teenage girl, not even old enough to drive, and tells her, you little one, though you have not yet been with a man, you will bear a child. And Matthew says in Matthew one twenty-two, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet Isaiah in chapter seven, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Friends, God is so committed to destroy the terrible lie that is destroying you in the world. That he not only tells us in scripture over and over and over again, I am with you, but then he actually enters into the human experience through a fragile, vulnerable baby, and he takes on our flesh and takes on our human experience, also that he can literally fulfill Isaiah 7 God is Emmanuel, God with us even the name Emmanuel itself look at look at this name look at the etymology of this name the hebrew imanu means with us m is with anu is us imanu with us and l means god so if you look literally translated immanuel means with us god god chooses to name himself in jesus the with us God, even in his very name, he puts us before himself just as he does so in his own life and death and resurrection. Can you believe this? There was a preacher named Lancelot Andrews who, was, who preached in 1614 to the king of England on Christmas Day on this very text. Now, he questioned in the sermon, how could it be that God's name could be Emmanuel? Surely it should be El Imanu. God, us. Surely God's name should be in front of the human name, but no, and this is what he said. And you'll have to sort of look past the 17th century language for a bit. This is what he said. And what can the name mean but this that in the very name we might read that we are dearer to him than himself, that he so preferred us, and that his name does no less. Oh, how he loves us. See it in his very name. Now that's a preacher you see that? See it in his very name, friends. Emmanuel, us before God. And he has proven this so, not just in his countless words of promise, but ultimately in his incarnation and the gift of the Spirit. Friends, I just encourage you, would you receive this beautiful gift? There are many of you, even now, who believe this terrible lie, that you are worthless, that you are alone that it is up to you to secure your own life, that you're not going to make it, that the forces in your life are, are rendering you powerless to do anything against it. And I would just encourage you, would you receive this beautiful gift, the good news of the gospel, is that though your sin has separated you from God, though you have lived your life trying to live without God, God has come to you to be with you in the person of Jesus and now offers you his spirit so that, as Jesus said in Matthew, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Would you receive that? This beautiful gift. The only thing that can beat the terrible lie is the beautiful gift. Emmanuel. Friends, the next couple weeks, I know are a little odd. I might not even see some of you until 2017. Some of you will be traveling. Some of you won't be back here until January 8th. Some of you, you know, you're here for the first time and you're never going to come back. So, you know, I don't, I don't know where, and, and, and even this, I don't even know what some of you face in the coming weeks. I know what some of you face, but there are, is a whole complexity of pain and sorrow, even present here in this room, that will be exacerbated in the next coming weeks that I cannot even name or understand. And so here's what I want you to do. I just want to give you a simple takeaway today. I want you to take this word, Emmanuel, as a promise to claim for you. And a prayer to enact for others. Would you take this word, this name, Emmanuel, the with us God. Would you take this name in your heart? Maybe write it on a piece of paper and stick it on a post-it note on your mirror. Would you take it with you as a promise to claim and a prayer to enact? And here's what I mean by that. First of all, a promise to claim. I guarantee you, you will be in a situation in the next couple weeks where you need to claim this promise. Emmanuel some of you are facing pain and illness some of you are battling cancer and migraines some of you are battling depression and all kinds of chronic or physical or mental illness in that moment will you claim this promise Emmanuel the with you God is there some of you are facing loss some of you have just lost your job some of you have lost or about to lose a loved one, a loss of a dream, a loss of a parent. At least one of you have lost a child this very week through miscarriage. Would you claim this? Immanuel, the with you God, is there. Many of you are facing the deterioration of a relationship, and some of the strains of the relationships in your life will be felt deeply over the next two weeks. Some of you have experienced the great failure of marriage or friendship and the pain Of that relational pain is overwhelming. And I want you to claim, Immanuel, the with you God, is there. Will you be facing anxiety and fear in the coming weeks, fear of future, fear of the well being of your body or your child, or fear of what lies ahead of you, or financial fear? Will you claim, Immanuel, the with you God, is there? Are you facing temptation, or the battle with a behavior or a habit or an addiction is so strong that you feel trapped and enslaved by it? When you are in the midst of that temptation, will you claim Immanuel, the with you God, is there giving you power to overcome? And when you fall, as some of you will, even as as you face the guilt and the shame and the regret of your own actions, will you claim even then this promise, Immanuel, the with you God, is there with his grace? I want to tell you, friends, that in every situation that you find yourself in the coming weeks, this is a promise to claim for yourself, Immanuel, The great John Wesley on his deathbed held the hands of those that he loved. Now, what do you think you're going to be thinking about on your deathbed? Have you ever thought about that before? What what will be the last things that will be going through your mind as you prepare to face the abyss of death? I'll tell you what it was for John Wesley. As he faced uh, his last breath, he looked up at his friends and he held their hands and he said this. The best of all friends is this God." With us. Although he said it in Latin. Deus nobiscum, which is so cool. I hope I speak Latin when I'm dying. <laughs> Can you imagine, friends? Last word. The best of all is this, my friends, God with us. Deus nobiscum. I'm telling you, if Wesley could die with that on his lips, then think what your life would be like if you lived with that in your heart. The antidote to the terrible lie, the silver bullet. Against the enemy who would convince us that God doesn't love us, that God is not trustworthy, or maybe God isn't even there. We combat this lie with the great truth, Emmanuel, God with us, God with us now, God with us forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. Friends, this is a promise to claim for yourself, but it is also a prayer to enact for others. You know this. There are many around you, in your neighborhood, in your family, even in your own house, and certainly in the world for whom the terrible lie is strong. There are many around us, many in our world, who because of the darkness of their own hearts or because of the circumstances of their lives may feel very well that God does not love them, that God is not trustworthy, and maybe God isn't even there. So this name, Emmanuel, is not only a promise to claim for you, it's a prayer to enact for others. For whom should you be praying this this week? For whom in our world should you be praying this in the coming weeks? We think of those who have faced loss recently, and for whom Christmas will be very painful. We think of, we, we, we think of the, the Hall Thompson family who's, who, who just lost their daughter Perrin. We think of Jonathan Shouse who just lost a parent. We think of Mary Cadill who just lost a grandchild. We, we think of the family who just lost a little baby. We, we, we claim this for them, Emmanuel, be with them, oh God. We think of those in our own city who, who are languishing in isolation and nursing in convalescent homes and who are literally dying alone. We claim for them, we pray for them, Ummanuel. Emmanuel. Be with them, O God. For those in our world who are trafficked and enslaved and brutalized and killed by violent men, we say, be with them, O God. For those suffering and dying without the hope of Jesus, we cry, be with them, O God. For the millions of people fleeing Aleppo, Syria this week, for the children literally murdered in the streets this week, we cry out for them and for their families. Immanuel, be with them, O oh God, for all the vulnerable and all the lost and all the oppressed and the poor and the sorrowful of heart in this world. We claim this for them. We cry this for them. Emmanuel, be with them, O oh God. And not only are we called to pray this prayer, but to enact this prayer that in the great mystery of God, us, you and I, every man, woman, boy, and girl through the power of the Holy Spirit can not only pray this prayer, but be an answer to this prayer for others. That we might be the hands and feet, the presence of Jesus to someone who is trapped in the terrible lie. And I want you to consider right now, who in your life, think of one person in your life right now that you could touch, that you could come alongside in the next two weeks who may need to hear and believe the truth of Emmanuel. Would you think of that person right now in your, in your mind's eye? Who needs to know the truth of Emmanuel? Friends, we hold to this promise. And we hold to this prayer, and we look to the day when it will be fulfilled. Revelation 21, John said, I saw the new heaven and the new earth, and now the dwelling place is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Three times in one verse, with us, with us with us the day he anticipates the day as we do with him when God will wipe away every tear and death shall be no more and there will be no mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away brothers and sisters Emmanuel this is our hope not that we would fly away and be with God but that God would come and be with us redeeming and restoring our souls and our world forever Emmanuel with us God So friends, there may be a lot of things that you are thinking that you want and need right now. For some of you, it might actually be a vacuum cleaner. But for most of you, I think it's something a lot deeper than a vacuum cleaner. And what I want to suggest to you is that God has already given to us the one thing that we really need. Emmanuel. So don't be like Ahaz. He rejected the gift. He rejected the beautiful gift. And as a result, this word of Emmanuel became a word of judgment for him. Would you not be like Ahaz Instead, said? Would you be like Mary, who in her own little spirit received it and let it change her and change the world forever? Emmanuel, Deus Nobiscum. God with us, us with God. What a beautiful gift. Let's pray. When I just invite you to pray and speak to God about two things right now. How will you claim Emmanuel as a promise for yourself? Just think ahead of the next couple weeks and think about a hard situation that you know you're going to find yourself in and pray that God would help you claim this promise of Emmanuel. And also think of that person that, you, that I invited you to picture. Think of that person that God is perhaps inviting you to Come alongside and speak words of hope of Emmanuel to them. Pray for them right now too.